Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Cassie Schrader. We'll be right back. Very, very special guest coming up next, Christian Cipollini, uh, Diary of a Motor City Hitman. Just a couple of seconds down the road, Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake, and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt that talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions, or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Our old theme. I love this song. There's no question about it. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Christian, how are you today? I'm having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have it. Now, do you pronounce your last name Cipollini or Cipollini? Actually, you pronounced it. Uh, if, if we were in Italy, apparently it would be Cipollini. Right. Here, everybody, they turn into an S. So it is Cipollini. Yeah, so I'm actually used to both. <laughs> okay, go to, go to Italy. That's a good thing. You're a, um February 1975, a case began to unfold like nothing the quaint Detroit suburban area of Orchard Lake had ever seen. In the hours following a near head-on collision between a mysterious sedan and an on-duty patrolman, the frightening truth behind the speeding car's driver would be discovered. The vehicle was littered with weapons, drugs, and cash, yet these items weren't even the beginning. The most menacing item law enforcement could imagine was made of paper found in Chester Wheeler Campbell's possession was a set of meticulously detailed assassin's notebooks. Jeez. Holy God. Containing the names of unsolved murder victims and a list of planned targets. Why would somebody keep such a notebook, I was uh, just going to ask the same thing. What's the wisdom? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> to understand Chester, he was uh, extremely uh, intelligent and I would consider him even more than a hitman, anything else. He was almost like a master spy, if that makes any sense. When he was hired to uh, do a job or, or even to surveil someone, he kept lists of everything, their comings and goings, their license plate numbers, their kids' names. It was, that's, what, <clears throat> that's what scared the hell out of everybody when they realize this guy has information on everyone from Ooh. judges to yeah. other gangsters. And I'm in again very detailed information down to the time they come home from work type of thing. Oh. Man, that is oh God, that that has to be very dangerous to have in your possession, I would think. It even more dangerous is when they discovered he also had in his possession 
um, sealed grand jury testimony. <laughs> oh, in oh my. So he had connections everywhere. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, Detroit at that time was also, there was a lot going on at the exact same time, and one of them was massive corruption in the political spectrum and the police spectrum. So, yeah, let's just say Chester had friends in every place. Jeez. And how, how did Chester himself grow up? What kind of family is he born into? How, how did he grow up to get involved in all of this? Well, Chester was one of several um, kids. Uh, the only one that um, that I'm aware of went into crime. Uh, hanging around the streets of Detroit, he was uh, a young uh, African-American guy, got involved with some people, and, and there was corruption. You know, not, not unlike every city, Detroit had its share of corruption throughout the 50s. Mm-hmm. Chester really upped the ante as a criminal when he shot to death a guy on a street. It was apparently over, they were trying to steal money or drugs from him at the time. In the 50s, he went to prison for a long time, but that was the only incident where he ever served time for uh, a murder. When he got out, it was a time period where the Italian mafia and certain factions of the African-American community were working um, together on uh, particularly heroin mm. was, was the big market of the late 60s and 70s. By 1972, some of the African-American factions wanted to break off and uh, get away from the Italians. Long story short, some of the African-Americans stayed with the mafioso and it caused a war. Chester oh, yeah. was a freelance hitman that was actually more aligned with the Italians. Which and again, I, I say this because you think of the time period in the racial problems around the you know, the country and here is this black guy who essentially did a lot of stuff for the um, mafia in Detroit. Yeah, that's an amazing story. It, it had happened, well, oh, God, I, it, this very second escapes me. Frank, um, you know, the, God, the, the, the black godfather of New York, Frank, God, what was his last name? Oh, Lucas. Frank Lucas, yeah, there you go. Very good, thank you. Yeah, yes. it, it, it literally, Christian, is it the fact that, that uh, you know, black people had been in America, Africans had been in America for quite some time, but then... Uh, made some, thank God, some great strides in the 60s. It kind of started in the early 60s, and then by the mid-60s, things had changed. So, in effect, much like Italians or Irish people, or you go down the list, even though they'd been here for hundreds of years, blacks were looked upon as kind of a new immigrant into into white society, weren't they? Yes. Um, to your first question, how does someone like Chester end up in, in the underworld. Right. Uh, in my opinion, in my experience, it's, it's a simple answer across the board, and this applies to all ethnic groups, whoever's at the bottom of the um, assimilation list at right. the time. Right, right. He, he, as you put it right there, that answers part of it. And the other part of that equation is when he came out of prison, it was at the tail end of the 60s, and... Um, it was about to hit the fan with with everything in in civil rights at yeah. that time. So he walked right back out of prison into a world that was they the, the blacks had been redlined out of the city basically over the you know they say that doesn't exist. Yes, it does. They, yeah, it you know, does. Yeah. The people and for those that don't know what that means, it's oh wait these these immigrants these um, African Americans these Hispanics we need to keep them away from certain sections of the neighborhood so let's make them work over here and live over here and that's what they did so when when you're doing that you're you're putting even a further wedge into society and where do some people go hey it's easier to make money in the underworld maybe not easy but there's more hope yeah in that world I understand that completely you look at the design of a lot of cities and Minneapolis would be one of them Chicago certainly with the S curve uh, would be another one of them. They actually, where I grew up, Christian, it was Irish, Italian. It was a Roman Catholic neighborhood, 
in one section. So French, German, but mostly Irish and Italian, um, some Spanish. Uh, but then there was a black neighborhood. So there was a Catholic neighborhood, the black neighborhood, and the Jewish neighborhood. We're all in North Minneapolis. And they built the freeway right around the neighborhood, so basically we couldn't get out. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. They did that in so cities all across America. Yes, and I, I mean, my specialty besides Detroit is in New York, and, and you look at oh, when yeah. you're talking about immigrant groups, in the early part of the 20th century, the Jews and the Italians were the low people on the totem pole. They right. threw them in. They created slums is what they did, and they did this with Latinos and blacks. Everybody, they create slum areas for whoever's lowest on the totem pole. And I think... Crime, you know, it goes back to economics and, and cultural, I don't know, redlining is what it is. Right. Do you think that, that let's, I, we'll just say it's the white population because they were the majority voters, they still are the majority voters in the United States of America. Do you think they didn't really understand the problems that were being created by just kind of Oh, as long as they keep the drugs, uh, drugs among themselves, the, the Italians, the Jews, the blacks, as long as they keep it among themselves, good, the bootlegging, keep it among yourself. Did they actually think that that wouldn't expand and grow and basically explode in America if they didn't do something about it? I think the word naive definitely oh, yeah. plays into it. I also think uh, a colleague brought this up to me one day and said, you know, they couldn't have been that damn dumb. And, I'm, <laughs> and I agree. Yeah, I agree, that, yeah. There are people that weren't. It was easier to um, keep certain things criminal or keep certain groups of people as that um, in uh, popular culture be known for being criminals. It makes life so much easier for those on the top um, when you can, uh, I don't know, uh, categorize and box things very easily. Right. Uh, so, uh, I mean, again, theories of mine looking at all of this, I just think, yeah, they got it wrong because a lot of people were just naive. And ignorance is bliss, right? I mean, we've all mm -hmm. heard it. We've all done it. It's mm -hmm. just, it makes it on a bigger spectrum. You create more criminal opportunity when you create less opportunity for legit stuff. Now, Christian, Detroit is an interesting city. I like Detroit, as a matter of fact. I'm one of the few white people in the world who's ever been to the Top Hat in Detroit, which is a mm -hmm. burger joint. Now, so you know about Top Hat. I know about a lot. I have not been there. but uh, <laughs> No, it's closed. Yeah, I, Detroit, Detroit, though, it, you're right. It has so much. If people look beyond the old, you know, terrible things about it that every city has. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's true. Uh but the auto industry, I, I'll never understand, Christian, I'm, I'm going to get a bit off topic here, but it was one of the problems that was created in Detroit after World War II. Uh, the auto industry, pushed on by politicians, basically handed the automotive industry over to the Japanese. And I'll never understand why they did that. It destroyed the city of Detroit. It's amazing. It, it did. Um, things that, it, when you're a crime writer, uh, at least in th this particular kind of thing, I learned a hell of a lot about economics that I didn't know before sure. uh, when I was researching this and how exactly what you said, that played into it. And that it carries over in any city, any town, anywhere in the world if if some giant economic boom disappears. Yeah. You, you, it's inevitable. People are going to want to survive, and some are going to want to escape. And how do they escape? In this case, heroin was the big deal. And it, and it was the – and don't let anybody fool you. The Italians, they didn't deal drugs. The mafia wouldn't do that. Yes, they did. They did since the <laughs> 1920s, let yeah. me assure you. Yeah. Um, they were bringing it in mostly from New York into Detroit, and the urban um, gangsters – they wanted a piece, and that's where it kind of led into where Chester fit in. Yep. Um, they, what he did, because when, when you're in the underworld, you don't call the police if one of your own does something wrong or if you have an enemy that needs dealt with. You can't call the cops. You have your own internal ways of handling that. Chester was one of those guys. 
I think it's one. You know, Christian, your book sounds to be to me to be a very honest book about what really did happen without any glossing over any areas. You you t- kind of beat it all head on. It seems to me. Oh well, thank you. I tried. I I did. Imp- mostly, I credit those fact that a lot of it was new to me. I even going into mm-hmm. it, I didn't realize how much was going to inundate me to put together so that you have the bigger picture. You know, in the side things that were going on. It's not just about Chester. It's, wow, look, this was going on, that was going on, these people were lying, there was corruption, there were there were good things, too, that got you know whisked away because of all the bad. Detroit gets a bad rap because, well, it was a tough time, and heroin mm-hmm. was king. People could make a lot of money. They were willing to kill for that. You know, it's really unfortunate because the whole idea behind labor unions was a wonderful concept. Uh, it did force corporations to pay people a, a fair and honest wage, but then right. they got all greedy and powerful and started pushing people around. And I, if we could keep things semi clean and straight ahead, it would have been a Detroit probably would be one of the biggest cities in the world right now if they had just left it alone and not messed with its industry and not. I mean, for a while there, the the United Auto Workers. If you turned a screw on a car, you made a hundred grand a year doing it. Uh, that's not a good idea. So if they had kept True. the unions in place, they're a great thing for the worker. Absolutely, it forces corporations to pay. And if uh, the United States of American government, the U.S. government, had stayed the hell out of the car business, Detroit would be booming today. No question. Yeah, in hindsight, you know, you think of all the mistakes that were made, yep. um, and it did. And and. In the case of, of the 1970s into the 80s, yeah, a lot of people were downtrodden. Black, white, across the board, mm-hmm. it sucked. And a lot of people, you're talking about a time period, too, where the mafia, you know, people knew guys. And, and, and the um, African-American gangsters, people knew them. It, was, it wasn't, you know, you look up to them, hey, this guy, you know, he's driving a Cadillac. Right. I, the hell, I want that, too. No, um, you're absolutely I mean, there's right. no other way to get it. You're not going to get it bagging groceries, no, and, and there wasn't much of that left. Yeah, you're 100% right. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Diary of a Motor City Hitman, a very honest book, Christian. I, I really admire you for being honest because sometimes people don't like that when authors are honest. <laughs> they don't care for <laughs> Yeah, I, I, believe me, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, thanks so much for your time. How do you get the oh, book? Available everywhere? Uh, yeah, um, Amazon, uh, it's Barnes & Noble. You can pick it up online in in some brick-and-mortar stores. Fantastic. Christian Cipollini, or Cipollini, if you want to go with the Italian pronunciation. (laughs) Christian, thanks so much for your time today, sir. Hey, thank you. I'll talk to you again. I hope so. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down over 77 pounds, and I have one more round to go to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It is on Monday, August 20th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. That extra baggage melts away really fast, and one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never, ever hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on August 20th. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. 
It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. Is this the Motor City Madman? Detroit Rock City. Man, Although I'm not a big Kiss fan, but... Yeah. Did they write that song? Or did somebody from Detroit did, write it? Did Kiss write any of their stuff? Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering, you know. that's I guess that's a question I'm asking. I can see... Did they write any of it? I can see Paul Stanley writing, but not... Yeah, that's true. Not Gene Simmons. $300 million because he's the best, one of the best marketers of all time. Yep, yeah. they were brilliant with that. Uh, he was, and that was all him. It was unbelievable. He could market up a storm. Born in Israel, actually. People don't yeah. realize that. I can't stand his hair. Oh, his hair. Is, have you ever seen him? In, have, have you ever met him in person? No. It's a Brillo pad. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's exactly what it looks like in person is a Brillo it's, pad. It's huge. It is huge. I'm like, you need some frizz control or something. Yeah. He, he needs the coconut spray. Yes, maybe I should bail him a box of yeah. coconut spray. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's nice. Really nice. Uh, thanks again to Christian Cipollini for being on the show. Well, it's Cipollini in America, but he's taken a lot of chances. He did not sound like he was a very, like he's an elderly gentleman. He sounded pretty no, young No, he's actually to me. pretty, I he's saw probably, his pictures and stuff. He's got to be maybe in his mid to, mid-30s to maybe. That's what he sounds like. Low yeah. 40s, yeah. He's probably uh, living undercover. Yeah. He probably should live undercover. Yeah. I, I mean, is there really any scary people out there like that anymore that would just, I mean, I mean, I know that there are. Are but not like so much mob bosses well, anymore that can just go shoot somebody for fun. I, they change the vernacular, just call politicians. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I mean, that, seriously, these people are crime bosses. These politicians doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican. They're well, basically it, crime bosses. Wasn't Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton accused of offing people? Yeah, like oh, yeah. twenty-two of them. <laughs> twenty-two people they were accused of, of killing. Never, never proved any of them, but people sure did die around them. I can't see them sitting at the head of the table. No. Like, well, like a Tony thing. Soprano character. <laughs> yeah, I can't see Bill as Tony Soprano either. I have to agree with you. I got to watch that. I've watched that series three times in its entirety. And I could watch it again. I love the I Sopranos. I, I will never get over that scene when he's when he's pissed off at that uh, Hasidic Jew. <laughs> Listen here, ZZ Top. Listen here, ZZ Top. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Castino says hello. Where's Steve? He was just at his 20-year reunion, and one of our listeners, Dave Fisher, ran into him and knows him. And Why didn't he come in and do the show? We didn't ask him to. Well, but Steve, I didn't know Steve was going to be in town. Steve Castino, Johnny Castino, and Nan Castino have, have a wonderful family. They're, they're no longer together, but the kids, nicest, nicest family you'd ever want to meet. Very nice people. They were the Castino, Johnny Castino, Super of course. John. Rookie, oh God! <laughs> Rookie of the year in the American League. John Castino was a phenomenal baseball player. Really, really good, and he was very funny. He was interesting to be around. Uh, I was like, I always liked Johnny Castino, the hell of a guy. So Steve Castino got David Fisher. Saw him. Yep. David, thank you so much for for uh, pointing out that Steve was in town. I wish I had seen Steve when he was in town. He's such a he's a very nice young man and. Hard to believe he's been out of, I, I don't know if it was a high school or a college reunion for 20 years. I still think of all of those kids as kids. God, he would be 38 years uh, old. Now. What the hell? He can't be 38. Or if it's college, he's 42. Time. What the hell? <laughs> so, well, Steve, I hope uh, Dave Fisher maybe copies this and sends it to you. We we do miss being around you. You're, you're a very classy young man. Maybe Well, not a young man anymore. Well, he's not a middle-aged man either. You know what I'm talking about. I know. My birthday's next week, and I'm like, how old am I going to be? And I have to do the math. I forget how old I'm going to be every year. You do? Is that a sign of getting old? No, Catherine's been doing that since she was 21 years old. No, not 21. I can't believe it's my 24th birthday. No, actually, it's your 23rd birthday. I know. I I skipped a whole entire year. (laughs) I did. I was telling everybody I was a year older than I was. I'm like, what? Who does that? Nobody does that. I did it. (laughs) 
Um, I said, she's telling everybody she's a year older than she actually is. <laughs> and there was no benefit. It's not like she was 20 saying she was 21 no. so she yeah. could drink. That I wasn't it. I just didn't know. <laughs> I've done that. I'm like, oh, my God, how old am I? Am well, I... it's just after a certain age. Who cares anymore, yeah. right? I think once you stop having birthday parties when you're a kid, you don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is probably true. You're Looks right about that. Like we have Looks like Matt is, uh, Matt is ready to go. Matt, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Marvelous. Turnour is how you pronounce your last name, Matt? Yeah, perfect. Matt Turnour, ladies and gentlemen. Documentary Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. Hello? Oh, can you not hear me? Hello. Did I lose him? Uh, I think you did. I don't think so. Well, he can't hear me. Why don't we take a Hello. break here and come back and, and see if we can get this fixed? Because we're only five minutes in. Oh, I know, but, but what if are we going to do? he can't hear, he can't hear. He can't hear. Well, I see he just hung up. His That's phone is probably not working. It's I not understand. Um, here, he's calling again. Okay, Maybe good. it's better now. I'd like to get get a hold. That's, that'd be good. Any better? Uh, there, is that a lot better, Matt? Yeah. Oh, good. I can hear you. Well, hearing is good. Hearing is good. There's no question about that. Matt Turnauer, the book is called, or excuse me, the documentary is called Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood, August 24th, just right around the corner now. God, I cannot believe it's late August. Matt, it's already late August. What the hell happened to summertime? That's what I want to know. Uh, It's always that way. It always is. is. Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood on August 24th at the Lagoon Theater. I love that theater anyway. A lot, of, a lot of really great stuff. So instead of me reading the synopsis, tell me about it, Matt. What, what is this all about? This is literally about Scotty, Scotty Bowers, uh, known as the pimp to the stars, <laughs> and the secret history of Hollywood. Uh, he was the mayor of the sexual underground of Hollywood starting at the end of World War II when uh, coming out of the Marine Corps, he began to work at a gas station, the Richfield station on Hollywood and Van Ness. Uh, Scotty was a male prostitute and um, male madam, and he uh, used this gas station as a covert brothel, and his clients were the biggest names in Hollywood. He's still alive. He's 95, and the film is a cinema verite uh, study of him and the world in which he existed. No, I, I, I don't want to venture into any territory because I don't want to, you know, give away the big secrets of the of the documentary. Obviously, I, I you know, I want to see it myself, and I am going to see it this weekend. Um, I yeah, and I don't, I don't think I want to know any of the deep, deep. Like, I'm very, very interested in who the biggest names in Hollywood uh, would go to a a male madam to hook up with a prostitute. It just seems to me if you're that big a star and you're that popular, it shouldn't really be that tough to pick up a date, should it, Matt? Yeah, but think about the times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the different times. Uh, Hollywood in the uh, period before and after the war and for many decades after that uh, ruled the stars' lives with morals clauses in the contract. So there was nothing available to you publicly other than a you know, straight-on hetero existence. And a lot of these people had uh, different facets to their lives. They were looking for other things, and uh, they would be fired or humiliated or arrested by the vice squad if they had all lived uh, their authentic lives uh, in public or even in private, to be, to be perfectly frank. The vice squad run by the LAPD was like a sexual Gestapo that went around sure. extorting money from, from movie stars and other you know, prominent people or even non-prominent people. You know, it's interesting, Matt, over the years, uh, I have heard from many different people. I was in the voiceover industry for a long time and I've been doing radio for 48 years and been around tons of actors. And it's been my experience just observing them that people become actors for a very specific reason because either they don't like who they really are or they're trying to figure out who they really are. So it would seem to me that any behavior that wasn't acceptable at that time, it is now, but wasn't at that time, that a lot of people with that proclivity would end up in the acting industry, wouldn't they? You know, that's really interesting. No one's put it quite like that before. I think that's a very interesting observation. I can't say whether it's 
no. fully true or not. But I think there's something about the arts that attracts people that are willing to experiment or are, are unconventional and different. So Hollywood, it's not just the actors. There were the art directors and the hairdressers right. and all the people, and the prop masters, all the people that... Uh, made up the industry are all artistic people or people with artistic bent and the arts uh is a more free-thinking segment of our society so there's mm-hmm. going to be same sexuality in those worlds and the studios were policing that so at the time you really needed a fixer-upper who could be trusted to kind of manage your uh what at the time would have been known as degenerate sex life yeah, I, that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, I remember Matt being a very young kid, and somebody, somebody, had, I, just at some family gathering—not my family, but another family—and they were talking about Montgomery Clift and Lawrence Harvey and the fact that they were weirdos. And I, I'm like, what do you mean they're weirdos? Because I think <laughs> at that time, if you if you were gay, and I, I from what I understand, Montgomery Clift and Lawrence Harvey were both gay. I don't know. They, I suppose there's never any. So I'm not damning them. They, they were just the names that came up when I was a little little kid, or I guess I was 12, something like that. So I wasn't a little kid. But um, yeah, the, it, even at the, at that time, people were were still kind of looking down upon them because of the lives they lived and all the rest of it. And and also, I think part of that whole acting thing is you were talking about art directors and you know cosmetologists, all these people that were working on, they're still working on a fantasy, and I think that was the important part to them. The hook for all of them, uh, anybody who's drawn to Hollywood, is that fantasy creating something that's not really real, but people will love you for it anyway. I, that's, that's like kind of like a drug in a way, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about what you could call the fantasy industrial complex, which is really what Hollywood was and is, okay? So uh, the movie focuses on uh, Scotty, but also some of the biggest names at that time. I'll name some names right now. Cary Grant uh, was not totally straight. Catherine Hepburn was, in part, a lesbian, Uh, you know, at times. Spencer Tracy. Uh, these people were the gods and goddesses of the town, mm-hmm. and they were part of building this fantasy industrial complex. They were the, the major cogs in the machinery, in fact, and they were living, by necessity, double lives. And this film tells you how it worked and shows you uh, who was the ringmaster and the organizer of these lives. And that's Scotty Bowers, who's remarkably still alive at 95 and has been going around promoting the movie, giving oh. interviews. Oh, really? That's amazing. That's terrific, as a matter of fact. I, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I cannot wait to see your, the movie, first of all, uh, because it's going to probably answer a lot of questions. Give me exa- I'll give you an example, Matt. You know, I think the reason I got into the, the voiceover business and doing radio is because when I was a kid, very poor family, seven kids raised by my mother, I didn't have a voice, so I guess I got in this business so I would have a voice. I, that's what kind of drove I, You think that's true? Uh, yes, I think... Uh... The movie, the movie stars are particular creatures, yep. uh, and uh, we're fascinated with them to this day. And Hollywood was a, a company town, very organized and centralized at that time. So it was almost unbelievable that you would come out here, and if you were good-looking enough and you had that special something that could make you a star, uh, you were treated like almost a... Oh, did we lose him again? Shoot. Looks like it. Oh, that's too bad. I like Matt Turnauer. I see. I don't want to ask him anything. Well, he brought up some specifics. I that... think the internet here is going down. Oh, oh, yeah, I can't. Because right. various websites are not working. Oh, man. We can't be doing that. We, we're going to have to get... So are we even on anymore? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, we're still doing the show, and we can post the show, but are oh, we Oh, no, on? we're not live. So Uh-oh. we're not live at all. Nope. Okay, well, he was our last guest of the day anyway. Yeah. But, but I wanted to ask him a few more questions. I mean, well, we only had a minute left, I suppose. Cary Grant, <laughs> you know, I. I yeah, didn't there really have been rumors about, about him forever. I suppose that's true, isn't it? Yeah. 
But, yeah, Matt Turnauer, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's August 24th. It is Friday night at the Lagoon. I do love going to the Lagoon Theater. Oh, I really he's do. he's trying back. No, he's not. Oh. No, it's too bad, but I, I did like yeah, talking to Yeah, we lost the internet. I, why does that happen here? It happens everywhere. We it lost, does happen everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. we lost internet at our house the other night during Dave's show. <laughs> That's because yeah. you're a disaster. It it's your fault. Yeah, it's because they're doing constant construction everywhere. Yeah, and they don't care true. where they dig. That's, that's very why. true. You're I suppose absolutely right we could just that. record a segment. And... That's what we're doing. That's yeah, fine. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. John, I just got another complaint about our delivery service. Oh, not again. Yep, we have to do something about our courier service. You know, they're a reflection of us. What happened now? Well, you know that one driver that has the dog that rides with him? Uh-huh. Well, when he got out of his truck to deliver our package, his dog got out and delivered, well, uh, his own package, if you know what I mean. That's it. I want you to call... Priority Courier Experts, because, you know, they've got more than 500 drivers. And tell them we need... A professional, reliable courier service. And make sure they have internet order entry and real-time tracking you know i had priority courier experts account rep in here about a month ago and who knows how many accounts we could have serviced better if we had just signed up and started using the twin cities largest most reliable on-call courier service what's that number because the next package is going with priority courier experts already dialing 651-748-4477 priority courier experts can we help you can you ever priority courier experts every time you call us we deliver Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Really? We're doing jitterbug. <laughs> All right. Don't worry about my feelings. That's all I have to say. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Bernard show. Uh, the building lost the internet for just about one minute. Yes. Uh, I went out. It was funny. I went out to go down to the men's room. There were people in the lobby going, What are we doing about the internet? <laughs> it's amazing. When you lose internet, you well, like lose your you lose all sense of like I don't know what to do. There's no <laughs> well, connection. So many businesses are completely reliant yeah. on the oh, internet I know. now, like ours. Mm-hmm. Gotta have it. I know it's right. amazing. Yeah, you, do. you don't realize how dependent you are on it. Yeah, so I, lose it. I already got three or four uh, messages from, yep, <laughs> from people. They're like, too. "What's wrong with the show?" It's like we didn't have anything wrong with the show. We just lost. The internet for a few minutes. So right. we're being censored by the man. That's what it is. Now I did see in the news that there is a there was a tropical storm that was just upgraded oh. to a hurricane, and its name is Lane. 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 <laughs> so, Hurricane Lane. Christensen. Christensen. <laughs> exactly. I've dubbed it Lane Christensen. Lane Christensen. I like it. Hurricane Lane. Where is Hurricane Lane? Uh, I let me check. I haven't seen the latest. East um, coast or west coast? A lot of been in the, the uh, west coast this year. Ow. Yeah, Hawaii Lane. got hit by oh, a hurricane. Oh, it's in, it's target. It's targeting. Uh, it's now it's a Category Four targets Hawaii. Oh yeah. dear. As if yeah. Hawaii hasn't had an. Well, could that help? Maybe uh, it'll put the, out the uh, volcano. Is that thing still <laughs> going? Yeah. I yeah. don't know. It is, yeah. It'll hopefully it'll send enough rain into the middle of the volcano. <laughs> you know what's weird about that is I remember when I first started at KSTP back in the days. Uh, back in the day, I should say, I remember Knapp and Bush, Chuck Knapp and Charlie uh, Bush talking about Kilauea. Yeah. I remember they were talking about Kilauea back in the, that was like in the early 70s. That, well, yeah, there's quite a few volcanoes that just are, they're, they're dormant and then they react. I mean, there's a couple in Iceland that constantly are going. There's just some that just Well, they, they said if the one in Yellowstone Park were ever to blow, yeah. that would be massive. Yeah. Like yeah, catastrophic for a good chunk of the country yeah. because we it would put us in, what do they call that when you have the ash cloud and it puts you kind of in a oh that that gas the gases I want to say it's something like uh, it's almost like oh. a nuclear winter almost yeah I know what you're talking about yeah I can, but it's something I wouldn't different. be good over the bread basket of America no I wouldn't no. imagine yeah that'd, but that'd I'd, be true yeah I'd kill the crops and everything mm-hmm. I would think so absolutely 
There's a word for that. Yeah, yeah I can't I remember. I can't but it's like a bunch of ash. Yeah, like really hot ash flies all over the place. Yeah, and I can't remember, but it's like similar to like a nuclear winter. Hmm. A nuclear winter, ladies and gentlemen. Did I say that right? Nuclear? No, no, you it's didn't. a nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. It's All one you have of to think of is hard for me to say. No, it's not because think of the word clear. Yeah, and just put the word nu- new in front of it. I nuclear. Know. Nuclear. <laughs> Pyroclast is the word I was thinking. Pyroclast. Yeah, yes. there you go. Yeah. Pyroclast. Um, Pyroclast and nuclear. Yeah, it's one of those. I can't say R O words either. Like, like Roy. <laughs> it's okay, Roy. I can't say it. So is it, are you part French? No. No? Because wah. She's I, just Minnesotan. Apparently it's just called the volcanic winter. Volcanic yep. winter? Okay. I think that's, that's it. It's a volcanic winter. That's what I'm trying to figure We're out. figuring it all out. Hey, you can learn so much here, like you can learn about Hurricane Lane Christensen. <laughs> so Hurricane Lane's closing in on Hawaii? It sounds like, yeah, it's a Category 4 Oh man. Uh, hurricane, and it's saying it's... Uh, pretty strong. It's a dangerous storm as of now. No. So um, let's see. When, uh, let me check and see exactly when is it supposed to make landfall. Um, it talks about how dangerous it is. Oh, uh, probably tomorrow through Saturday. Tomorrow through Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it says may bring destructive winds as much as 20 inches of rain oh, on shore. Oh, man. So, Whoa. Not good. That's bad. Well, the big island and Maui County are closed until further notice. Yeah, does not surprise me. Who gets the kids in the divorce? John Schnatter is hoping it's him. <laughs> oh, I get the kids at 31 and 29? You can have them. I, I, I'm good with that. Change your life a lot. I can handle that. That's not a problem. Uh, John Schnatter is hoping it's him, the former Papa John's chairman, ousted in the wake of his use of the N-word while on a conference call. He did not use it as a derogatory term. Why are term. people still focused on this? Who he cares? He didn't do He's that. He repeated the words of another uh, food sales guy. Uh, you know, I don't know if he actually did it or not. But he was saying, well, he used that word, and he said the word, and he's been condemned. Every- he didn't call anybody the big N. He was talking about another guy referring to black people as the big N. And all of a sudden he's out, in his, which just tells me that everybody at the company hated his guts. Well, yeah. That's what it tells me. Because mm-hmm. if they liked him, they would have given, I don't know if they give him a total pass, but they go, hey, you know what, you know, maybe go away for a couple of weeks and then come back or whatever. I don't know why you do that, though, because he did not call anybody the big N. You know? matter. Uh, in any case, his use of the N-word while on a conference call has published a full-page ad or love letter, as the Louisville Courier-Journal calls it. In Wednesday's edition of the paper, the letter, which is addressed to fellow Papa John's team members, begins with Schnatter saying he misses them all, more than words can express, that the board is barring him from talking to them, and that he knows how difficult a situation they're in. Please know that every minute of every day you are in my thoughts and prayers. He clarifies he doesn't want his face and name pulled from the company materials, ending the letter with a URL, savepapajohns.com. The site, which rounds up legal documents and news coverage, proclaims the board wants to silence me, so this is my website and my way to talk to you. Nowhere does he explicitly say if he wants to become chairman again. The homepage's main image simply declares, I am Papa John. CNBC reports he has uh, pushed to be named CEO once more. Well, he did it once. Why can't he just do it again? I don't know. I mean, first of all, if you're going to sell pizza, get rid of the name Schnatter. <laughs> that's the yeah, least pizza e name it, it's ever. It's just an unappetizing kind of thing. Yeah, like thing. Schnatter. Splatter and... Shiite guy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Shiite. You know, you the, know it is. It's a whole thing. Stuff. Splatter and Shiite, so you got Schnatter. All, it's all not good. I either. <laughs> no, nah, never mind. Uh, in any case, I don't know. I've never talked to Papa John. I have never eaten a Papa John's pizza I in my have, life. I have, and it's very greasy pizza. Oh, it is? Well, then I wouldn't like it. Yeah. Are they the ones that you bring either. home and bake? No, that's, that's Papa Murphy's. Uh, I like Papa Murphy's because okay. you can custom make your own pizza. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Put whatever that you want yourself. on it. Yeah. But, yeah, Papa John's is really greasy pizza. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't I, know. I Maybe there weren't any out in Dayton back when we were living there or, or whatever. Maybe we had one and just didn't do it again. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't remember it, so whatever the situation is. Yeah, one of the big stories today, of course, is a story we already talked about on this show um, far ahead of the release of the information. 
that uh, animal crackers are now cage-free. I'm not very happy about that. I still can't believe that. I can't even believe that they're still in a box. I mean, what? Yeah, let them out of the box. Yeah, they should just be lying on the shelf. 100% of votes from people today on the KQ Morning Show, their children, when they do have Barnum animal crackers, 100% of the kids bite the head I off. I know, first. I said it yesterday. I know you That's did. exactly what the, yeah. I did it when I was a kid. I'm did. like, oh, I'm going to bite your head off. You bite the head off They're first. tasty little animals. Yeah, yeah, they were. It's a cookie for God's sake. I know, it's a cookie. If I ran animal crackers, what I would have done is after PETA said, get rid of the cages, I would have said, okay... And then come out with a box where the animals are all killing each other. <laughs> because that's what would happen. Well, the lion ripping the, the zebra lion's killing apart. the zebra and the uh, gorillas fighting the elephant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, I, when I looked at the, the the animal cracker box, I did not look at it and be like, those poor no. artistically drawn animals are yeah. in cages. No. You know, let me free them out of the box. Barnum was a circus. Yeah. I said these. I'm sorry, Barnum's was a circus. You want your lions to be in cages. I mean, there are so many things that are so much more important Mm -hmm. than this tiny little problem that they made up. I mean, tigers are being poached. There's hardly any tigers left in India. There's mm-hmm. there's elephants that are being. I mean, come on. This is what you spend your time mm-hmm. on. Well, it's kind of kind of uh, funny. Tomorrow there is a guest that's going to come on to talk about um, the treatment of animals, especially when it comes to farming, um, like mass uh, like corporate pig farms, farms and, corporate farms, yeah. and t- how some of these animals are mistreated. I mean, well, I'm sure they they, are, they yeah. stay in cages. They don't. You know, and they don't go after easy targets, though. Yeah, but I mean, I would prefer them go promote something more, something like that, versus an animal cracker. Exactly, it's easy to bully people that are in the cracker industry. People that you know will listen to you because it is because it's easier to just kowtow. Yeah, and they'll they'll, yeah because they'll they'll call for um, you know. Everybody to not eat them, mm-hmm. and then their stock will go down, and then people lose their jobs, and who cares about that? Right? Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think some factory farm in rural China cares about what PETA thinks. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just telling you this, though. Uh, now that they've freed the animals, which they should have taken them out of cages long ago, I'm very <laughs> upset, and they need to change the name because cracker is a derogatory term for a white person. A Stop calling them crackers. Yeah. <laughs> Microaggression. Microaggression. They have to be cookies, then. So animal, animal cookies. cookies. Well, and cookies have, you know, are bad on the Internet. I don't want cookies. Everyone's freaking out about cookies right now, even though they've been in use since the 80s. Oh, yeah. I think so it's they're just learning about them and yeah. they think that they're new. Well, I think it's because the, they, you know, people didn't know that they were getting them from certain websites, and that mm-hmm. was the problem. Is that because of Facebook and everybody using all your private information? Mm-hmm. If I knew about them when I was 12 years old, then there's really no uh, excuse. I think the people knew what they were, but I didn't. I don't think that they knew the extent of... Almost every website uses cookies for some purpose, and they're the most benign thing in the world. Well, I've been noticing now that when I go on a site or click on something, it's like, this site uses cookies, and you have to say yes for it to continue on with the new privacy. Okay, it's a very important question, mostly for Andy because of his proximity to the outfit. Mm. But I'm asking all of you, do you like Olive Garden? I've never been there. You do? Yeah. You've never been there, Andy, but there's one one block from your house. Did there you know is? that? <laughs> yeah, it's right on Good 394. It's right, it's right <laughs> next door to the hotel. Yeah, it's not exactly with what? when you're walking, you wouldn't see it. it it's oh, on the it's on the other side. Other side of, the of 394? West no, oh. it's it's it's, no. it's just on the other. Hmm. It's closer to Highway 100. You know where those hotels are. The new hotels. There's a lot of hotels around here. Yeah, That's what I'm saying, hotels, The new hotels in your area. Past Cub. Yeah, it's right past Cub. That's past exactly Cub. where it is. It's definitely oh, within walking distance, Yeah, though. it's in the area I never go. Now, see, Andy, you might, though, because you could learn something, and Cassie, you'll be all over this. Catherine, mm-hmm. have you ever eaten in an Olive Garden? I certainly have. It's one of my parents' very oh, favorite right. restaurants. That's right. Your parents love it. Yeah. My mother took me to my first one. Well, I was the very first voiceover guy for Olive Garden when the restaurant came to be. For, I think it was General, was it either Pillsbury or General Mills started Olive Garden? Oh, I don't know about that. But I did their commercials for them. Uh, well, here you go. Olive Garden just announced they're doing their never-ending pasta passes for the <gasps> third year in a row. Here we come, go. Cassie and Andy. 
Uh, if you haven't heard of them, it's a pass you buy for $100 that lets you eat at Olive Garden as much as you want for eight weeks. But this year they've added a new pass, one that lasts for a year. Now, Andy, Jeez. if you buy a one-year pass for $300 and you eat at Olive Garden four times a week, each meal will cost you $1.41. Oh, God. Don't tell Dave. Yeah, don't tell Dave that. Uh, That's too bad because I have to drive my parents 45 minutes to go to the Olive Garden when I go see them. So there's one, they're just too far away for that to work for them. Kidnap them. What are they going to do? (laughs) Bring them back here. (laughs) There was a news story when they did that. One guy bought the pass for $100 and it was like unlimited pasta. So he was eating there three times a day. Oh, so often that they kicked him out. And they kicked him out and said, Oh, did he's they like, eventually? Well, no, Whoa. you said I can purchase this and eat as much as I want. That's bankrupting right. the franchise, he's though. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, he's they right. didn't put stipulations saying they you're should, limited yeah. to yeah. one meal per day. Right, which or they, should. they should. Oh. Yeah. I was wrong with my stat, by the way. Uh, as for the math, assuming you eat at Olive Garden four times a week, the eight week pass comes out at $3.13 per meal, and the year long pass comes out at $1.44, mm. not $1.41. Oh, oh. So well, let's off get by that three straight. Cents. How much weight would you gain? Oh, yeah, that's God. the thing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Eating pasta all the time. Yeah. Well, my parents Good, go there and they love the, their soups. They love their soups mm-hmm. and they love their endless salad bowl thing. With the bread, and the bread right? sticks. The bread uh, sticks. Isn't it in a bowl of bread the bread bowl bread no or is that the soup is in the bowl i don't know they probably have like a salad bowl in a bread but they they get the the big salad bowl with the salad in it which has phenomenal dressing on it that's what they love breadsticks and i like to dip the breadsticks in the dressing yeah they love that it is a wonderful thing ladies and gentlemen yeah there's one very close to your house andy you should give it a shot yeah, it is. It's literally a block and a half walk from your house. So, Andy, give us a report tomorrow on the Olive Garden. Mm. He just goes, hmm. I like their spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah, you do like a nice meatball. We will be back, Tom <laughs> Bernard Show.